Welcome to the Rise Method podcast, where we make fitness information available to everyone. I'm Steve. Let's jump in. What's up, guys? Coach Steve here, and welcome back to the Rise Method podcast. And this episode is a very special episode because it's the first recorded episode of 2024. That's right. I've had a little bit of break a break from recording these podcasts as we're focusing over that Christmas period, the holiday period, and now we're rolling into 2024 and we are currently in week three of the New Year, New You Rise Method Challenge. And it's an exciting challenge like always because we have introduced the Body Transformation Competition, the first Body Transformation Competition at the Rise Method where one lucky and hardworking riser will win themselves a $1,000 cash prize plus a $500 supplement prize pack for the best transformation. And that's judged off of a start and end photo and video. So lots of our RISE members are taking their start photos, taking their start videos, um, and are starting to see some amazing progress so far. So our challenge is a six-week challenge. And one of the great findings is that we're going to introduce a 12-week challenge in March. So hang around for March where we're introducing that 12-week challenge. But like all starts of a challenge, like all starts of a fitness program, we'll be getting lots of questions um, from um, very small, uh, very large types of questions. So I'm going to break down um, a couple of questions today that you might find helpful and useful on your fitness journey. So the first topic that uh, always seems to come up within the fitness space is the conversation around carbohydrates. And we're getting lots of types of conversations uh, around carbohydrates, uh, mainly phrased more of a statement rather than a question. Things like, I think my carbs are too high, or there's too many carbs in my meal plan. Followed by some questions like, oh, what are your thoughts on carb cycling? Or um, should I reduce my carbs for weight loss? So to help understand some of these questions, we do need to kind of unravel some of the complexities that people put out there in the fitness space and the nutrition space around carbohydrates, what they do, uh, and their role in you know this body transformation thing that we're trying to do. So carbs, let's start at the very basic what are carbs? What are carbohydrates? Well, a carbohydrate is one of the three, technically four, but we don't talk about the fourth one, macronutrients. So we've got proteins, carbs, and fats. And then the fourth one is ethanol, which is which is alcohol. And each one of these mi- uh, macronutrients has uh, a certain amount of energy from a gram of that macronutrient. And that energy uh, is what is measured through calories. And when we break down a macronutrient, we get to use that calorie or that energy to do activities of movement. So that could be me talking right now, me thinking about the words that I'm going to say, me taking a breath so that I can say the words that I'm going to say, or me, uh, I don't know, moving my hands or going up and going for a walk, going to the gym, building muscle in my body, making my hair grow, these types of activities all require a certain amount of energy. So when we consume too much energy, our body has this really cool survival mechanism where we go, hey, let's let's store some of this energy for later in case, you know, where we don't get 
uh, our next meal or we're, we're, we're starving or all our crops die or we're stuck inside a cave or whatever happens. So we get to store some of that energy as body fat. So if we consume too much energy than we need, we have an excess of energy and we store that energy. Now, if it's the other way around, if we are lacking energy intake, so we, we are not consuming as much energy, consuming enough calories or consuming enough macronutrients, then we will start to break down some of our energy stores or our fat stores to make up that, that deficit so that we can still live, right? Because we as an organism want to live, we don't want to die. So we're going to uh, break down some of that stored energy so that we can keep on going. So where does carbohydrates fit in all of this? Well, when we look at our macronutrients, we need proteins because we need them to maintain things like our nervous system, our digestive system, our heart, our brain function, and what's closely associated with is building muscle. So we need a certain amount of protein, especially when we're dieting, especially when we're trying to lose weight, so that we can maintain as much muscle mass as we can. If we start to reduce our protein intake, our body struggles to uh, maintain the muscle that we have, and we start to break down some muscle. Then we look at our fats intake, and when we look at what fats do, they primarily help with hormone production as well as vitamin and mineral absorption. So if we reduce our fat intake too low, we can start facing complications around hormones and our overall health and well-being, so we need a certain amount of fat intake. So where does that leave carbohydrate? Well, the, the, the thing is, we don't technically need any carbohydrates, right? We It's not like it's an essential thing. We can go without carbohydrates, which is why folks get into this pigeonholed idea of going, well, great, I don't need carbs. I don't need carbs. So I don't eat carbs. <laughs> uh, so they only focus on eating proteins and fats. And that's where we give rise of things like the low carb diet or the keto type diets, where we just abstain from consuming carbohydrates, even though it's a really difficult thing to completely abstain from carbohydrates because carbs are in almost everything, everything that we eat. Look at fruits and vegetables, primarily carbohydrates, right? Um, so if we were to take away things like fruits and vegetables from our diets, that's probably not a good thing, right? We need things like fiber. We need things like the vitamins and minerals that come from fruits and vegetables. So completely abstaining from carbs, probably not a good idea. So what do carbs mainly do? Well, when we look at a carbohydrate like molecule, the gram, it's kind of like a piece of Lego, yeah? So, you know, a Lego is you, we can look at like a singular block of Lego and then you add a few Lego pieces together and we've made this, you know, this little structure. And that's kind of what a carbohydrate is. So one structure could be, you know, a bit of apple, another structure could be like a bit of rice, another structure could be like a slice of bread. And when we consume that food, our body breaks it down and eventually it, you know, breaks apart this piece of Lego. So we've got one little Lego block and that little Lego block is a glucose molecule. And glucose just means sugar. So it's a little sugar mo molecule that enters the bloodstream. And then we get to use that because it transports around our body it enters different cells around our body, goes to our brain. Uh, and it is the preferred source of energy, preferred source of fuel for our bodies to, to, to use. <clears throat> So when we don't have glucose in our you know, bloodstream floating around, our body will break down other sources of 
of energy so that we can get glucose in the bloodstream. And that could be to break down fats or break down um, proteins. And this is the fancy word for this is called gluconeogenesis. Gluco meaning glucose, neo meaning new, and genesis creation. So the creation of new glucose molecules. So it's going to break down other tissues in our, our body. So if we don't have carbs, we're going to break down something to get it, right? So this is where people put two and two together. Well, we go, okay, great. Well, if I don't have carbs, I don't have sugar in my blood. My body needs to break down some other tissue so that I can, you know, break that tissue down, convert it into glucose. And glucose can enter my bloodstream and then I can go do the glucose job. What we see here is a little bit of like mental gymnastics to try to make that all happen because sure, that does happen in a linear equation, but the the process of that is, is, is a really shitty process. We feel like absolute trash when that's happening. When we don't have that glucose readily available in our body, that's when we have things like lethargy, tired, fatigue effects, and that can cause us to do things like overeat. That can cause us to do things like uh, fewer steps, less training performance, so that our energy expenditure goes down, um, and then our energy intake can increase because we start looking for more food. We start to feel things like hunger and fatigue, right? Then we get the exact same thing when we do consume carbs, but we look at it from a macro macro view when we look at just our overall calorie intake. So when we look at big broad studies, regardless of if it's a low fat or low carb diet, when it's equated for calorie intake, there's no difference between the two. So when we're looking at the ratios between proteins, carbs, and fats, it doesn't matter too much as long as the calories are cool, as long as the calories intake is at a level where we are forcing that energy deficit. Now, that energy deficit could come from uh, reducing our calorie intake, yes, or increasing our energy expenditure. And the best way to measure our calorie intake is, of course, to measure the calories that we're consuming. And the best way to measure our physical activity level or our energy expenditure is to measure it via our step count, because that's something we can measure and quantify. You know, how many steps are we doing? And yeah, you know, your activity tracker might be slightly wrong, slightly incorrect, but if you're collecting data over time and you're seeing that you're starting at, let's say, 5,000 steps per day average and then moving up to 6,000 steps, 7,000 steps, and then beyond, you know, maybe 10, 11, 12,000 steps per day as an average over time consistently, then you're gradually increasing your energy expenditure over time. So the main takeaway here is that carbs aren't, you know, the, def- the, the, the devil, uh, and we don't need to abstain from carbohydrates to lose weight. And in most cases, completely removing carbohydrate isn't a great idea because we, we, we start to get those symptoms of fatigue, tiredness, and poor sports performance when we remove that easy to uh, absorb and easy to use energy source, which is glucose from our bloodstream. Now, folks can then take that idea and then really skew it to the extreme. And we go, well, okay, Steve, you said that we need carbohydrate to maximize or you know get the best sports performance. What if I take all my carbs and eat the carbs on days when I'm training so that I get the benefits of performance, but then days that I'm not training, I'll have no carbs, so then my body will just use fats as fuels. Oh, okay. A little bit more mental gymnastics happening here. This process folks call carb cycling. So we'll have days where we have higher carb intakes on days that we train, and then we have days of 
lower carb intakes on days that we don't train and we cycle our carbohydrates. And really, it just turns into this really complicated kind of thing that we're trying to do where we're trying to match up our food intake from the days we train and the days that we don't train so that we can try to maybe get the benefit of the higher carb days on the days that we're training. And yeah, it, it kind of happens. When we see folks who are really advanced, um, high-level elite athletes and bodybuilders, this is a practice that they follow where they'll have uh, higher days and lower days. But the actual intake of carbohydrate isn't necessarily cycled. It's calories that's cycling. They'll have a higher calorie day on training days and a lower calorie day on non-training days. And you'll find that their carb or uh, macro ratios are quite similar from, from day to day. It's just the days that they're training, they're just consuming more calories. And calorie cycling can be helpful so that you have more energy to train regardless where it's from, rather than trying to play a little bit of bioenergetic gymnastics to try to get the, the, the glucose to be the big changing factor, which it doesn't necessarily work as, as nicely like that in, in the complex human body. Okay. Now, some folks have had really great success on things like carb cycling and even things like low-carb diets, really powerful success. And the the success is amazing. I, I, I love it. And it definitely works for some folks and not because of the carbohydrate intake. It's mainly due to the lifestyle behavior factors around low-carb diets. Stick with me here. So when we impose a rule on ourselves where I say, Steve, you do not eat carbs. Okay. Or on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you do not eat carbs. Okay, this is a strong rule that I would lay for myself. And when I say I don't eat carbs, I immediately eliminate lots of really tasty foods <laughs> that are really easy to overconsume. Things like pizza, candies, sodas, lollies, chips, um, all these really tasty foods that once you start eating them, they're hard to stop eating. And they're often mixed in with lots of fats as well. Fats really high in calories per gram. So you could have a muffin, which might look small, you know, the size of your fist, but that could be the same as having a massive salad. So it's really easy to overconsume these types of foods. And when we make the rule of saying, oh, I just don't eat carbs, you're immediately saying, no, I don't eat those foods. So we're changing the behaviors around foods, probably making better choices for dieting when we abstain from carbohydrates, okay? So those rules can be really powerful, but it's not the carbs that are causing the weight change or the, the major success. It is the lifestyle factors. And for some folks, it's really powerful. If you were very committed and very blanket, nope, I don't do this on this day. And this way, even things like time-restricted eating gets really powerful. If you say, hey, I just don't eat after eight o'clock, you don't eat after eight o'clock. That's it, full stop. When you know it's 10 o'clock, you're watching a movie and you're like, oh, maybe I'll just have you know, a bowl of ice cream or some chips or maybe just a quick sandwich or something. No, you do not eat after 8 o'clock. So that's a hard and fast rule. Or you don't eat until 12. All those snacking periods in the morning, breakfast, mid-morning tea, you know, work functions, whatever it is, if you say, I do not eat until 12, that's a really hard rule that you do not eat until 12, okay? So these rules are really powerful. But I digress. Main takeaway here, folks, is that carbs, again, not the devil, you're allowed to have carbs. 
Carbs are probably helpful with weight loss journeys because it helps us to maintain as much muscle as we can, uh, as well as having some joy in our life. Because often foods that are super tasty have elements of carbohydrates because those carbohydrates essentially are sugars when we break them down. And in a roundabout way, sugar is also not a bad thing. You're allowed to have sugar and lose weight. All right, next question here. We're talking about measuring progress. And this question has come up quite a few times already uh, in our group chats and also in our uh, private chats with a lot of a lot of our members here. And I'm getting lots of questions around, you know, how often should I insert track progress thing? So we're mainly talking about measuring body weight. We're mainly talking about taking weekly photos. And we're mainly talking about taking measurements. And I think I gave away that, that photo one there. Now, on the app, you will see that I've prompted you um, each week to take a weekly photo, to take your weekly body stats, your measurements, um, and then take your weekly body weight. And that's more of just a prompt for folks out there just so they can start collecting data, okay? Now, when we're looking at measuring progress, what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to solve a, a problem. We're trying to solve a problem. We have our goal, let's say I want to lose weight, and we've applied an intervention or we've implemented, if you're following our RISE method, we've implemented um, a, a, a strategy so that we can get there. That's a training plan, a meal plan. And then we want to maintain that strategy over time and measure its effectiveness. So that's the problem we're trying to solve. We're trying to measure if this strategy that we're doing is effective and is getting a result that we're looking for, okay? Now, when we are trying to measure something, let's say our body weight, and an example here, we'll change body weight just so we're talking about something else. We are trying to solve a problem of, is it hot in summertime, okay? Now, I'm from Melbourne. Right now, we're getting lots of ups and downs with our weather where we've just gone through super crazy rain. I was wearing a jumper the other day and it's you know, the middle of January and now it's really hot again and then I think it's going to be cold in a little bit. So if I was trying to solve the problem of, hey, is summertime hot in Melbourne? If I was just to look out the window on any random day and you know it's raining outside, I could just say, nah, it's not hot. I can look at it in a week from now and when it's you know mid-30s and go, yeah, it's hot, right? just taking a little snapshot in time doesn't tell the whole story. So a better way to answer that question of, is it hot in January or is it getting hotter in January or is it hotter in this summer in 2024 versus summer in 2023, it's better to look at you know a broad average, look at multiple data points where I go, okay, I see the weather every single day, the hottest temperature, the lowest temperature, the average temperature of the day, and then I'm looking at the average temperature of each day to create an average temperature of the week to create the average temperature of the month, and then comparing that from the month of uh, January in 2024 to the month of January in 2023, and then trying to answer the question that way. Now, if you just completely swapped out weather and temperature to weight loss and body weight, then you can start to get the picture where we go, okay, our body weight fluctuates a lot. And that's mainly to do with water weight, how much fluid we're holding onto, uh, and gut residue. So there are two categories that influence that. Now, lots of things influence water weight. That could be how much water you consumed, how much salt you consumed, how much carbohydrate you consumed, if you're on your cycle, if you've got any inflammation, if you've got some swelling in your muscle, if you trained recently, if you slept poorly, the weather outside, 
these types of factors all influence how much water we hold onto or fluid we hold onto. The other side is gut residues. So we're talking about food that's in your stomach, in your digestive system, or getting ready to, to come out. So any food that is inside our body. So these two factors can influence our body weight, and that changes you know, hour to hour. So when we're looking at our body weight, if we were to take our body weight just you know, every Sunday, Sunday and Sunday, you might find that you miss out on all the story in between Sunday and Sunday. You miss all the ups and downs, um, and you might find that you measure yourself on a Sunday at a particularly like low point, and then you measure yourself next Sunday, your body weight, on a particularly higher point, and you look at the two, and you go, oh, geez, I haven't lost any weight. But you miss out on all the story in the middle where your weight's gone up and down, up and down, up and down, and shown progress where you're losing weight. So a better way to use our weight, our body weight as a measure for progress is to measure your body weight frequently. And the best thing to do is actually to measure it daily, measure it every single day. And then you can create a really nice looking graph or graph that that shows the story where it goes up and down. And you might be able to link this to activities that, you, that you've done. So maybe after you train, you find the next day you're a little bit heavier. Oh, interesting. Or maybe you find that on a particular week in the month where you get your cycle, uh, your body weight spikes up and spikes back down. Maybe on the weekend, you had um, a really long hike, a really long walk, and your body weight goes down. Ooh, maybe you're dehydrated. Or you went on a weekend bender. It was your best friend's, insert age, birthday, uh, and you went away for the weekend and your body weight spiked up. So once you start to link some of these activities, you go, oh, well, okay, I'm not going to stress out if my body weight goes up and down because I know what's happened, right? And you get a better understanding of what's, what's actually true telling the story and what's false telling the story. Because when you look at our body weight, remember that one kilo of body fat is about 9,000 calories. So if you, your body weight was to increase, let's say, you know, a kilo overnight, you can't say that's a kilo of body fat because that's 9,000 calories. Unless you are able to eat 9,000 calories on top of the, ca- the calories that you'd need for the day. So, you know, let's say me, I need probably like two, 3,000 calories to maintain my, my, my body weight right now. So if I was to eat 12,000 calories in a day, yeah, maybe I might be able to gain a kilo overnight. Anyway, I digress. So your body weight uh, probably makes very small changes over time. So the best way to measure your body weight is to measure it daily, uh, track the trend. Even better is to calculate a weekly average. And when you're trying to measure progress is to try to measure your weekly average body weight and then compare it to the weekly average body weight of the next week and measure the percentage change between the two. So then now, once we can work out this percentage change, you can use that information to communicate and say, hey, I have lost you know, 0.5% of my body weight this week. Because when someone says, I've lost a kilo, I've lost 500 grams, I've lost 100 grams, those three numbers could all mean the same thing percentage-wise because that person has a different body weight. You know, for me, I'm about 100 kilos, you might be 60 kilos, or you might be 120 kilos. So for me to say you should lose a kilo a week, very different from individuals. But for me to say, hey, you should be losing you know, 0.5 to 1% of your body weight per week, that number can scale from individual to individual. So body weight, really easy thing to measure. You stand on your scales at home, you, know, you could buy a set of basic, basic scales from you know, Kmart for $20, $30. Uh, and you can measure your body weight frequently over time. Next data point that folks like to 
look at is our measurements. We're talking about girth, okay? So, you know, using a tape measure and measuring the girth of our, our body. The most common points to measure are our chest, waist, and hips. They're the most common one. And some folks are really keen to measure things like our thighs and our arms. Um, some folks into our calves as well and trying to measure multiple points around our body. Um, now, the, the main ones, of course, is the, the chest, waist, and hips. And I would even say the, the waist is probably the, the, the most commonly one to, to look at, right? Um, the problem with measuring our measurements is that there's a really, really high chance of error. So if I was to grab a measuring tape and wrap it around my waist, you know, there's a chance that it's on an angle. It's a chance that it's on a different spot. Even if I was trying to aim for my belly button each time, it might be slightly higher, slightly lower. And then to detect any measurable change, you know, we're looking at units of, you know, one centimeter, half a centimeter. And if let's say around my waist was a hundred centimeters, right? To measure a 1% change, that's one whole centimeter, and that could be like quite a lot, and that's 1%. 1%. You might find that like a half a percent or even, even smaller might be very minuscule, and it's hard to detect, and the error rate is higher than the rate of detection, okay? Plus, we've got other variables that we need to consider when we're looking at measurements, so things like any inflammation or swelling, any experiences with the pump or training, like me after I train legs, my legs are visibly bigger, right? Because I've got a pump in my legs, I've got swelling in my legs, and that's my thighs and my hamstrings and my adductors and everything around. So if I was to measure my thighs before my leg session and then after my leg session, two very different measurements, right? Same as the next day. If I trained legs yesterday, my legs will be different now. Or if I trained my arms and my shoulders and I was trying to measure my chest, um, my chest would be different, than if I didn't train, right? So these measurements can be tricky. The best way to measure our measurements, I would recommend a weekly check-in for our measurements, okay? So we can collect some data and understand that there will be some um, error rates with that. When we're looking at our measurements, we can't be too disheartened when we don't see progress from, from week to week, and it's more likely that we see progress um, monthly. So it's more likely that we see progress in our measurements from month to month. Next, we look at things like our photos. And in the app, I recommend that you take your photos weekly, but it's totally up to you when you do check-in photos. It's always really nice to have a reflective process and to look at photos and to um, have a, uh, that reflection. You see the photo and it's a snapshot in time. We go, yeah, okay, I remember that week. I remember what was going on then. Now, similar to measurements, you will struggle to see any week-to-week -week changes with your photos you will struggle to see any fortnightly changes in your photos. You probably even struggle to see any monthly changes in your photos. You'll probably start to see quarterly changes in your photos because photos are hard to see changes. And sometimes a little bit of a game of spot the difference. You know, one of those like, you know, you have two photos next to each other and you're trying to squint your eyes and trying to see the difference between the two. Sometimes it's a bit of a game like that. And often you see the changes in the mirror or you feel the changes in your clothing first before you see the changes in photos. And that could be due to, due to, to lighting or the time of day or, or those types of factors that, that change that. 
Now, I will recommend that you still take your photos weekly. And the reason why is that one, it's a really nice experience to be able to like flick through multiple photos and be like, oh yeah, week one, two, three, four, five, six, and so on and see those changes. But two, because of the ritual that comes with taking the photos, right? It's a little bit of an affirmation. It's a bit of a ceremony. It's another commitment to what we're trying to do here. You taking that moment every week to, you know, take your, your your top off or your clothes off or even just to stand in front of that camera is that recommitment to what you're trying to do. You're taking time out of your day to commit to this fitness thing by taking that check-in photo. This is really powerful and it's the reason why daily body weight check-ins do really well because every time you stand on the scale every single day, you're reaffirming in your head, you're going, yes, this is what I'm trying to do. Stay on my scales, I'm doing this fitness thing. Because if you didn't do that, right? If you pushed to the side, you tried to ignore that information, you tried to be a little bit ignorant to that information. Oh, like I, 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 I know that it's working. I'm just, I just don't want to see the photos. I, I don't want to see any progress. I just, I just don't want to look at those numbers. It's doing my head in. That is a little bit of that cognitive dissonance, being like, oh well, I don't want this to be the forefront of what I'm trying to do. It's not really like this big commitment. But if you address the, you know, the elephant every day, I'm going to stand on the scales every week. I'm going to take that photo. And even if that photo just gets saved on your phone somewhere, or, you know, you take the photo and then you delete it, whatever, the actual process of doing that check-in becomes really powerful. It's this recommitment of this purpose. All right, every week I'm trying to keep on doing this thing. So I will recommend that you still take your photos weekly. I still recommend you still take your measurements weekly. And I will recommend that you take your body weight daily. Try to take it daily, if not every second day or every third day, but try to take it as multiple times throughout the week so that you can start to see those fluctuations, those ups and downs. So what tends to happen is when we have those higher days, we become less emotionally invested into it. So if I'm trying to lose weight at 100 kilos and one particular day, I'm 101 kilos, I'm not going to throw in the towel and be like, that's it, I'm done 101. It's not working. I will see that one day I'm 100, one day I'm 101, the next day I'm 99, the next day I'm 98, the next day I'm 99 again. So I can see those ups and downs and then the next day I'm back to 98, 97. So I want to see those ups and downs and understand that our body weight will fluctuate up and will fluctuate down. All right, final question here, folks. There's a question in our group chat around progressing or progressing weight in the gym. So this is, uh, the question is reading it out. Uh, if I upped my weights on overhead press and completed uh, it for 12 reps at 40 kilos easy, does that mean the next set I would then up it again or the next workout would I up them? So the question is asking, if I did my set and I was aiming to do 12 reps and I did 12 reps and it was really easy, should I increase my weight for the next set or should I increase my weight on the next workout? This is a really great question. I love this question. Um, and it's a, it's a few assumptions here. So firstly, uh, overhead press of 40 kilos, 12 reps, that's really damn strong. So congratulations. The second part is we're assuming that this is not the first time you've done an overhead press. So let's say the prior week you um, did overhead press, you did it for 40 kilos, for 12 reps, and it was uh, you know challenging then. Then the next week you did it for 40 kilos, 12 reps, and it was easy, right? And if you were to rate it on like RPE out of 10, maybe the first week it was you know, a nine, it was challenging, but this particular week it was like a, a five or a six, all right, you blitz through it, 
Okay, what do you do? Well, I would recommend that you keep the weight the same. Okay, now going to that individual set of 12 reps, each set should be challenging. Each set should reach a point where you need to focus. Uh, you get to a point where it is hard to continue. Uh, and the fancy exercise science term is called overload. We want to reach a point where the training stimulus is overloading us. Okay. And that happens when, you know, we can't do another rep, when things like our rep speed slows down, our technique changes, when we really need to focus and concentrate on what we're trying to do. Uh, and then when we are in this overload area, that's when we get that stimulation to grow. So if you are doing 40 kilos and you are getting to 12 reps, you shouldn't just stop 12 reps if it's easy. You should be going to maybe that 13 reps, that 14 reps, to a point where you're reaching that overload stimulus. It might be worth reflecting on why that was easy on that particular day. Because if it was hard the previous week and it's easy this week, yeah, okay, maybe you've just gotten stronger. But if it was, if you're using really strong words like this was hard and this was easy, or this was like a nine out of 10, this was a five out of 10, what happened in that second week? Yeah, you might've been stronger or, or you might have changed the way that you executed that exercise to make it easier. And that could be that you used momentum, you changed your technique, you were bouncing a little bit, you cut the range of motion shorter, or you were moving faster or slower, or it was just a different exercise where something like overhead press, you might've been doing overhead press, but then the second week you're doing more of like a, a clean and jerk or like a little bit of like a push with your legs, right? That's what made it easier. So it might be worth reflecting on why was this easier? What did I do to make it easier, right? Maybe you just got a more efficient technique. Awesome, amazing, good job. Maybe you got stronger. Awesome, amazing, good job. Or sometimes there's a little bit of that pseudo progression where you go, hey, you you just butchered it a little bit, okay? So you might not be able to tell that unless you were training with someone or you were filming yourself and you had a good understanding of what your execution is like for that exercise. So when we are looking at something like this, 12 reps for 40 kilos, the next set. The next set, what we want to see is actually a decrease in performance. So what we want to see, if you did hit that overload idea where you are challenging yourself, you can't do another rep, the the, the rep speed slows down, your, your, your technique changes. Um, the next set, you should not be able to do the same number of, of reps or more reps. So if you did 12 reps, the next set, you should be, you know, looking at a point where you're able to get maybe 10 or 11 reps. Because if you've got 12 reps, then what that's suggesting to us is that you didn't really fatigue your muscle, okay? The first set you did 12 reps, the second set you did 12 reps. You didn't really fatigue the muscle. You didn't really challenge the muscle. You didn't really reach that overload point where the muscle is challenged. What might have happened in the subsequent set is that you changed your technique, you changed your execution just to get the extra reps out. So you weren't fatiguing the muscle, you were just making yourself tired, okay? So what we want to see, maybe something like, you know, 12 reps, 10 reps, 8 reps across three sets or 12, 11, 10, something like that, a decreasing in fitness over time. And that in the perfect world, we have maybe similar rest times um, in, between, in between sets and sim similar um, stimulation in between sets. So maybe the first set, if you were listening to your favorite song and the second set, your headphones died, uh, it's different stimulation, right? Then... 
for progression in, in this example, maybe in the next week you choose to increase the weight. So you go to something like 42.5 kilos, you're adding like little 1.25s on each side. But the problem with that is if you were going from 40 kilos to 42.5, that represents maybe like a 5% increase in weight, which can be quite quite a bit, where by adding more weight, it kind of changes the way that we execute the movement it kind of changes the way that we approach the lift and we might need to actually change the way that we lift to lift that heavier load. Um, and then we'll probably reduce the reps that we do. And these these things are totally fine, uh, but sometimes the stimulus changes when we're adding more load, especially like a higher percentage load, you know, like a 5% increase. And sometimes an easiest way to progress is just to add more reps. So let's say in week one, you did 12 reps, 11 reps, 10 reps. In the next week, you might choose to do, you know, 13 reps, 12 reps, 11 reps, or maybe that 13 reps on the first set was really challenging, 13 reps, and then you did 11, then 10, something like that. So we're getting a progression via adding more reps. And sometimes that's a really easy way to progress. And as you become more intermediate advanced, you get a really understand, a good understanding of what load works well for you in that, that time. So like for me, um, you know, when I approach an exercise, I kind of have a ballpark of like, what kind of load I can do for what kind of rep range. And I would choose to actually keep that load the same across my like month of training or meso cycle for the fancy bros out there. So let's say a squat, I might choose to squat, you know, hundred kilos for, for 10 reps. Uh, and, uh, throughout the, the four weeks of the month, I might improve that by just adding a couple of reps each, each week across, across the month. Um, and aiming for really consistent technique from, from week to week. Okay. Now, this is all in the assumption that you've done this exercise previously. If you have not done this exercise previously, it might be worth looking at that first set, you know, 12 reps of 40 kilos, simply as a, a warm-up. So you go, well, it was really easy. It's just part of my warm-up. I'm actually going to bump it up to, to 45 kilos now for 12 reps or, um, you know, bump it up to 50 kilos, 12, whatever, whatever it is. Um, so you might consider that as just a warm-up set and then progress into your working sets. Okay. Um, and there is that element of, it, it does depend what the rep goal is. So if you've done 12 reps and it was easy and the goal was, you know, five to 10 reps, okay, you have room to increase the weight so that you can decrease the reps so that you're within that five to 10 rep range within the goal of the workout. Okay, so there is a couple of it depend levels in that answer, but the best way to approach it is to use the reps that you, you do as a way to progress the exercise. All right, folks, so today we've gone through carbohydrates. What are they? We've spoken a little bit about how to measure progress, and we've spoken a little bit about how to progress your training. We'll wrap it up there for today's episode. Wrap it up there for the first episode of the Rise Method podcast in 2024. Happy week three to all of you on our New Year, New You challenge. And I'll catch you next week for the next one.